Today on Podcast by the Bay, we continue our State Assembly Member coverage. And so today we're featuring the District 19 State Assembly Member and also the Chair of the Budget Committee of the State Assembly, and that's Phil Ting. To me, when I was growing up, we had this California dream, you work hard, play by the rules, that the state was really going to give you this kind of opportunity and it's kind of given me every opportunity that I could, I could hope for. Uh, my concern is for future generations that California dream is, seems more and more elusive and harder to reach. And so that's really one of my focuses is to make sure that the middle class, the working, the working people of California, their children have opportunities just like I did. All coming up on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com And now, another podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And welcome to another rendition of Podcast by the Bay. We thank you for being with us, and we thank you for downloading this episode, and we thank you for spreading the word to all your friends. And so today, we're going to continue our assembly member coverage for the Bay Area. And so today's assembly member we're going to speak with is Phil Ting. And so Phil Ting covers District 19, and he covers uh, San Francisco, uh, half of San Francisco, and also parts of uh, San Mateo County, like Daly City. And uh, so the northern part. And so we were honored to actually uh, have the opportunity to speak with Filting for District 19. And one of the things about Filting also, Patrick, and I think uh, you, you were able to get a little bit more about his background, but he's actually the committee chair of the budget committee of the state assembly. So I think he has some wonderful ideas. There's a lot of things that he's bringing to the table as far as bills. Um, there's all sorts of bills. So maybe you can give a little background on some of the, the bills that he's doing and, and really uh, just a little bit about Phil Ting. Okay, let's go wrap up a little bit back. Um, we had the honor of <clears throat> interviewing David David Chu in the 17th, and now we're finishing with the 19th. But we do have a little comparison. Both David um, and Phil are, are both uh, Taiwan. They're Chinese. Uh, they're, they're covering the Bay Area. Um, and just to be a little more specific, uh, Phil Tang covers Broadmoor, Coma, Daly City, South San Francisco, and the Western edition of, of San Francisco. Um, Phil, in 2005, was appointed by San Francisco mayor at the time, Gavin Newsom, as a uh, San Francisco assessor's recorder. And he saved the city countless millions of dollars. Um, he ran for election for mayor in 2011 against Ed Lee. And, of course, he did lose and he did spend some record money. But Phil was elected to the state assembly in the year 2012, um, and he's been there ever since. Um, he's helped a lot of people, um, especially he's got bills, proposals dealing with the homelessness, uh, dealing with the uh, uh, passage of Proposition 64, the marijuana initiative. He's also um, working with reform for people that have been, had past criminal records to mainstream them back in society. 
Phil's a very engaging person. He's also one of the very few um, people that is not an attorney. Um, he's a business person. He worked with Arthur Anderson. Um, he's a graduate of UC Berkeley. Um, I think he's from Torrance, California. Um, he also has a master's degree from Harvard University, and that's the JFK University that seems to be all the elected officials go for. I was honored. He's a dynamic speaker. I want you to listen close. I want to encourage you to go to his website to find out the numbers of these assembly bills that he's proposed. Um, I think he has a record in, in his first three or four years, at least 40 or 50 bills that he's proposed. He's working on current legislation. It's an honor. It's also an honor for Andre and I to be, this is our first interview that was taped by Peninsula TV. We thank Bridget with Peninsula TV uh, that is the producer of that. And uh, with that, Andre, any more questions? Yeah, so like Patrick kind of highlighted, we did actually, this is going to be our first episode, we actually did a video coverage and video taping live um, with the assembly member, Phil Ting. So that's going to be aired on Peninsula TV. And so you'll get to see that. And also it's going to be, we're going to put a link on our website at uh, podcastbythebay.com under our video page. We're going to put up the actual video as well. So you guys will be able to go there and actually watch the video of Patrick and uh, Assembly Member Ting. So we'd like to thank Bridget from Peninsula TV for for actually doing the video recording and actually producing that. So it's actually a phenomenal production, and we're really pleased to present that uh, in partnership with Peninsula TV. So we definitely like to thank that. And finally, we al- we also would like to thank Nanette. So Nanette is uh, the communications director for the assembly member and uh, for really working with us and getting that interview scheduled. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get to the assembly member Phil Ting interview for District 19. And if you have any questions, you have any feedback, please reach out to us at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at podcastbythebay as our handle or on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcast by the bay. And remember, you can listen to any of our shows 24 hours a day, seven days a week for free on any of the podcast sites, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify. And uh, yeah, so with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. It is Wednesday, two days after tax day. It's April 17th. We have the honor of interviewing Phil Ting. Phil Ting is the uh, Assembly District for District 19, which covers Broadmoor, Coma, Daly City, South San Francisco, and Western San Francisco. I want to let you know, Phil, that I'm from Daly City, so you covered my area originally. I'm now living in Foster City. Oh, well, I'm sorry you moved. Well, welcome to Podcast by the Bay anyway. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. Um, Phil Tang is um, educated from UC Berkeley. Uh, he lives in the Sunset with his wife, Susan, and his two children. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil, I did a little bit of background on your information, but I haven't been able to find out where you were born. What city were you born I in? I was born in Torrance, California, down in L.A. Excellent. Well, congratulations on that. You also are honored to be... Um, uh, immigrant parents from people from Taiwan. Your parents mm-hmm. are from Taiwan. I also had the interview of interviewing David Chu. David Chu, as you know, is also from mm-hmm. uh, Taiwan, mm-hmm. uh, and he's doing a great job there, too, in the Assembly District, just like yourself. Um, I spent quite a bit of time trying to do a little bit more background information about you. I mean, you're, uh, in the first few years of your uh, Assembly District, I, I, I'm 
probably going to be off count, but I'm going to assume there's been at least 60 or 70 bills that you proposed. Um, a lot of them I'm passionate about. They affect the Bay Area. They affect San Francisco. They affect the peninsula, too. Um, one of the things that we caught recently, and I wanted to kind of get you warmed up, um, is Lombard Street. Yes. We, we talked about Lombard Street a little bit. Why don't you give uh, the people on Podcast by the Bay and Peninsula TV, what's happening with Lombard Street and what are they trying to accomplish? Sure. As, as everybody knows, Lombard Street is probably one of the most famous tourist attractions in San Francisco. Uh, every year it draws about 2 million visitors, which is great because we we love having tourists in San Francisco, love welcoming people from all around the world. The challenge is you actually have people who live on Lombard Street. Those homes on the street aren't tourist attractions. Those are regular, everyday homes. And so it's really about trying to help uh, the, the people who live on Lombard Street as well as the surrounding neighbors. What ends up happening is people will park and queue and wait to drive down Lombard Street, which is something that people love to do. But that queue could go from one to to four blocks all the way to Van Ness. And that creates a huge amount of congestion, huge amount of traffic. Imagine if you go out for groceries and you can't get back and you have to wait to get into your garage for another 45 minutes because you have to line up to get in line to get into your garage. So what we want to do is uh, try to create a reservation system similar to what Muir Woods did a couple years ago where you have to pay and reserve a spot. But that way, one, you don't have to wait. You don't have to sit in line for, for hours on end and you can come at a particular time spot and, and get and really enjoy the street. But then we also create a little bit of revenue so that we can manage the congestion and the traffic because you have people who drive there, you have people who walk there, and you have people who are taking pictures. And and that creates a lot of chaos uh, as the numbers get higher during the summer. Well, Phil, it's good to see your background is a little bit different than most of the politicians. You're not an attorney, and you're a financial planner. So um, I, I, I started in the real estate world, but I started working for Arthur Anderson, back then one of the big six accounting firms doing uh, real estate consulting, business consulting for them and other, uh, other large corporations. Now, you attended UC Berkeley and received your undergraduate from Berkeley, and also your master's degree from Harvard, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Was that the JFK University? That was the... Uh, JFK School of Public Policy. Well, congratulations on that, too. Um, A couple of the issues that are facing the peninsula are transportation and housing. I wanted to talk a little bit about housing. Our governor recently uh, has said that we have a 3.5 million shortage of housing in the Bay Area, and that's an accumulation over a 30-year period. Uh, What's your approach? We we, we talked to uh, Senator Weiner. We've talked to him on 827 that Mm -hmm. went down because they wanted to take local local control of, away from the cities, at mm-hmm. least that's what the cities mm-hmm. felt. Now we have a new proposal, um, State Senate Bill 50. Why don't you talk about a little bit about the housing crisis we have in the peninsula? Well, well, the housing crisis we have in the peninsula is the same as we have all over California. We've done a phenomenal job of creating jobs, which, which has been something that, as people who run for elective office, we are so proud of. We, we talk about creating jobs, delivering on this economy. We have, we have an innovation economy in the peninsula that is the envy, not just of the state, but really the entire world. Uh, the challenge is, is we didn't create a commensurate amount of housing. So all that gridlock that we see on 101, on 280, on BART, on SamTrans, on Caltrain is a direct result of great things because we created jobs. The challenge is, is we didn't create housing next to those jobs. So where where are people coming from? People are coming from Vallejo. They're coming from Vacaville. They're coming from Stockton. They are coming from the East Bay. They're, you know the, the 
the peninsula and was was pretty much full. So they're really they're not really living in the peninsula. They are coming from far uh, far and away to really work in the peninsula. But that's creating a significant amount of traffic. So I think what what the idea is is to try to create more housing around where we're creating jobs, and that's the only that's one of the ways that we can reduce gridlock. Now the other way is we we have to do. Um, expanded carpool lanes. We have to expand and electrify Caltrain. We have to make sure that there's that downtown terminal going into the city. we got to do a better job of adding capacity to BART uh, as well as adding capacity to Caltrain to really make sure that people can get further and more conveniently through public transit. Well, I appreciate your thoughtful answer on it. I've had an opportunity to interview 16 or 17 mayors on the peninsula Mm -hmm. also, quite a few of the assemblymen in San Mateo County. Mm-hmm. One of my concerns uh, in the listeners is transportation. Absolutely. Um, one of the issues that we noticed in the peninsula is we don't have a transit district. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your idea of a transit district? As, as you know, we're only claimed to fame as a clipper card, and a clipper card is a wonderful thing. I have one. Yes. Uh, and as often as I come into the city, I try to use public transportation. Very smart. How, how, can we, how can we galvanize? I think we need to maybe look at a transit system. What do you, what do you think? Well, we, we, we need have more regional transit planning. So we have the Metropolitan Transportation Commission, and they're really in charge of the nine county. Uh, they're trying to. They're kind of like the coordinators of the different nine county transportation agencies. And what we really need to do is have. Uh, better linkages. So we need SamTrans to better link to Muni and BART and then to our south, to VTA. And I think, you know, much of that is being planned out. Part of it is we we lack resources. So there has been talk about a nine-county large mega measure so that we could fund Dunbarton Rail. We could build out Deardoran Station. We could uh, make sure that BART goes to San Jose. We could make sure that we've expanded all the different carpool lanes, but also to really have a much more robust public transit system. Uh, Clearly, uh, people have a lot of concerns about widening 101. I mean, you know, people have talked about that, but it's also um, not not as popular because obviously that just brings in more cars. So what we want to make sure is that we can get people around faster and, frankly, through cleaner public transit than through some of the old old ways because I think it's not it, we just it's not going to give us the capacity we need to move the kind of numbers of people. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands to millions of people. Well, we're, um, whether it's BART or Caltrain's um, or uh, they're all fighting for or BART, they're also fighting for the same federal and state tax dollar and ridership. Right. How can we unite them a little bit uh, better to have a much more efficient thing because. One of the things that we have is the single driver. We still haven't been able to get that single driver out of the car. Yeah. So, so one of the big challenges is, is for most of these big projects, the feds used to kick in you know, 80% of the money. Like for high-speed rail, people always talk about high-speed rail, not having enough money. Well, it's partly because for those kinds of projects, the feds were the ones who really kicked in that kind of money in the past. Um, and so because of the federal government really almost getting out of the transportation business, which is really unfortunate. In some ways, the state and the region have had to go it alone. Uh, we're, we're lucky because we have a pretty pretty robust business community and a very strong economy, so we could um, potentially go it alone. Uh, but in order to really figure out how to increase the amount of transit, we're really going to have to take a hard look at how we, how we connect San Jose to the peninsula, to the East Bay, to the city, to... North County, so that people can get around by ferry, 
by rail, by bike, uh, by bus. I mean, I think it's really this intermodal transportation. Um, that's one thing that uh, we've really done, which is which is cheaper than a lot of other other things. Which is really build out our bike paths and bike lanes so that people can get from place to place via bikes, uh, which is oftentimes people want to get their exercise, so you don't have to go to the gym, you just have to bike to work, and then, um, or you bike to uh, Caltrain, and then you can take, take the train to work. Well, I want to encourage you. I had an opportunity to interview Dave Tanner, which is a, a city council person mm-hmm. in Woodside. He spent 18 years, and I think he was mayor once. He had a proposal in, uh, in the Tamfran Shopping Center. As you know, the current mm-hmm. owners uh, are from Australia, mm-hmm. an investment group that the shopping center is going to be leveled eventually. Mm-hmm. And what he was encouraging is a high-speed rail, mm. which would connect all of those cities. Have you had an opportunity to, uh, to see Dave Tanner? So you can go on podcast by the Bay and see his video of it. But I, I think that maybe we need a more, like you said, ro- more robust transit system that can get those cars off the road. No, absolutely. And I think, and I think the way that works is you have to make it um, more frequent and, frankly, more convenient for everybody. Okay. That's, that's the only way to do it. Okay, I appreciate that. One of the um, other passionate things, um, and I noticed on your, your uh, website, you, you were talking about the homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an opportunity a number of years ago to work with Danny Glover on homeless children mm-hmm. in San Francisco in the Tenderloin District. But we're, we're seeing across the, the state, and I, I, I looked at your website, and I think you, um, I think the number I saw was about 374, 375,000 homeless. Um, I'm wondering if that really is an undershot, because right now with the economic disparity that we have with rents going mm-hmm. through the roof, homes selling at right. extraordinary prices, we have a lot of people that are maybe sleeping in their cars or maybe sleeping in a neighbor's house. Um, what do you think we can do to make available more housing for homeless? Um, I've read a couple of your your bills that you propose <laughs> to uh, galvanize the cities, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. and galvanize those resources so that they can collectively work. Tell us what you can do. Absolutely. So the, the population of homeless in the state is roughly between 125,000 to 150,000, and even that is low. Um, uh, L.A. has about half that population, so they have anywhere between sixty to 80,000 of homeless people. Um, San Francisco's actually been pretty steady. We've had about 7,500 to 8,000 homeless people really for the last you know, five, ten years. In fact, actually this last year, it looks like we've um, been going down just, just a tiny bit. Um, the big challenge is, 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 is one, a, a couplefold. One, when you, when you don't have enough housing, you don't have anywhere to put people. So, so as people get pushed out of their current housing situation because of cost, we really want to try to give them uh, vouchers to kind of immediately stabilize them because the longer they're on the street, the harder it is to help. So there's that immediate population that could just be temporarily out of work, really need to relocate, uh, just need some temporary help, let's say six months to a year. We have vouchers to really help them immediately. So, so that's a population, kind of what I call the lower hanging fruit in the, in the homelessness world. Then, then you have folks that have been homeless for a little bit longer. And, and oftentimes what we need is we need more shelter beds because it's very difficult to help people when they're on the street. Because when they're on the street, they're hard to find. Uh, they move around and you really can't get the, it, it, it takes a number of interactions to really convince them that it's time for a change. So um, what, we try to, what we want to try to do is get them into shelter. So in San Francisco, let's say, we have 1,000 shelter beds, but on any given night, we have about 3,500 people on the street. So that means even if everybody goes into a shelter, you still got 2,500 people 
on the street every night. So, so we do have to build more emergency shelter. We're having a pretty robust debate about where some of those shelters should go. It's not an easy discussion. Nobody seems to, everyone's for shelters as long as it's nowhere near them. So that, that's, <clears> a, that's a major problem. The other, the other uh, very, the most challenging piece of it is um, around uh, mental health and then drug abuse. So you have well, those I'm glad issues. You brought, I'm glad you brought that up. One of the things that I think that we've overlooked in the educational system is mental health. Um, and substance abuse, predominantly uh, for a lot of the homeless people that we have, they they have predicted there's some 20% veterans that are on the streets somehow because of substance abuse or mental mental health. How would you, um, as an, an assemblyman, try to influence the uh, the state? Uh, mental health doesn't seem to be part of the curriculum, so you know, to speak. You know, it is. It's it's challenging. Mental health as well as drug abuse; those are very difficult issues. And I wish the state. Uh, did work on them better, but they're very challenging. We haven't, we don't have the best track record of working on them, and so we are trying to find ways to improve as well as working with different community agencies to improve. It's unfortunate that the feds originally were the ones who first were in mental health and they kind of pulled the plug in the 80s, and ever since then, there's really been a trickling of people on the street, and it's really sort of gotten worse. And unfortunately, no one has really picked up the slack. Well, I know reading up on a lot of the bills and legislation, you're really pro-education, which most of the assemblymen are pro-education. What do you think we can do? Um, I'm also a real estate broker by trade. Also, I teach in the high school district. So one, one thing that I notice in the curriculum we're lacking uh, is trade schools. Um, a lot of young people today, the cost of college is phenomenal, as you know, and, and they're saying more people are graduating from college and have more debt than they would have when they bought their first house. Uh, but, of course, that might be changing now, too, with the prices going rapidly. So how do you think we can incorporate more trade schools or more educational opportunities for students that choose not to go on to college? Yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate. During, during the high school years, we've really moved away from what we uh, sort of called as sort of uh, vocational education. Really, to, at, you know, we've only... S- focused on college education and not given anybody the option. Uh, partly because there's a, there a sense of, hey, if people had the choice, they, would, they, would, they should go to college. But again, when you look at the numbers, with only, you know, say, 20, 20% of high school graduates or so going to college, you know, we actually need everybody to get trained for careers that they, they can do quite well in uh, going to trade school. So uh, the challenge is it's really incorporating that back into the high school curriculum. The other thing is really uh, ensuring that the community colleges who do really a great job, almost all the community colleges, especially in the you have three uh, great community colleges in the peninsula, they all do a great job of really working with the different employers, making sure that their react, their uh, interaction and then their, their curriculum is really as up-to-date as possible with the surrounding uh, community and making sure that they are really preparing workers for working in those in those neighborhoods. Um, you know, we passed a Proposition 64 mm-hmm. um, on the marijuana initiative um, in the state, and that seemed to be a wonderful thing. But only an observation, um, I, and from what I understand, I think you mentioned something on your website, isn't it? About 73% of the city's do not uh, about, retail marijuana. About seventy-seven percent have banned marijuana. Banned marijuana, and I and I was in, encouraged by your your proposal in your legislation. Why don't we talk a little bit sure. about what you're trying to accomplish? Because I think it it could yeah. help. Well, well, we have a simple idea that the, the voters passed Prop sixty-four, saying that again, 
we should have legal access to cannabis. Uh, unfortunately, what we've seen is as a reaction to that, cities passing ban after ban after ban saying they don't want it in their community, which is really unfortunate because of the medicinal purposes, um, because of the, um, the purposes for health care. And unfortunately, what we're seeing is, is that there's, there's this huge reaction to no cannabis. So then what was supposed to happen, which is cannabis was supposed to come out of the black market, become legitimized, get licensed, pay taxes like every other business, this has driven them further underground. Because now all the, all the tax paying in the permitted businesses can't compete with the black market. So now you, you've basically created this really robust black market and all the ones who are playing by the rules are almost being driven out of business. So um, I think really the state and, and each of all of us in our cities have to make a decision whether we want to continue to make cannabis an illegal drug because that's kind of what we're doing by, by forcing them to not be able to compete by opening up storefronts, by opening up in locations where people are interested in buying them. And uh, what we found is most people have to drive over an hour just to get to a, a legal cannabis location, unfortunately. So um, there's an there's a immense lack of access. So our idea is you know, every jurisdiction, either city or unincorporated county, that passed Prop 64 should at least issue up to 25% of their liquor licenses should issue enough permits so that at least people can get access to cannabis. Am I accurate that the only town in San Mateo County is Half Moon Bay? You know, I don't know all the different cities, uh, which ones have done what in uh, San Mateo, so I would trust whatever you're saying. Okay. Well, I, I appreciate it. One of the things that you were uh, pivotal in I was is fast-tracking people that had uh, prior offenses um, and to get them back into the system, so to speak, for employment um, and also to, to exercise the right to vote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about it? I've been very passionate about trying to get people back Absolutely. into society. That's right. Um, and talk about it because I know so, you've, you've really put your heart into so, it. So, so we, we have about 8 million people in, in the state that have either got arrested for something. And when we say arrested, that means they're just arrested never convicted. They just have an arrest record on, you know, on their record. Uh, or convicted and they serve time. And these are all um, nonviolent offenders. These are people who have the right to have those records cleaned, cleared by law. So our, our, our bill right now is not changing that. All we're saying is that that should be expedited. Right now, if you want to go do that, you have to pay a fee, go into court, sometimes hire a lawyer, um, and then it takes the state and counties a whole bunch of work to do it. We want to expedite it and really streamline that. So we want the attorney general to create a database. The database is a statewide database. They would be the record keeper. Send it to the 58 different counties so that when somebody calls the courts for someone's background to do a background check, the courts just withhold that information rather than give it out because they, that is what they're supposed to be doing if the record is clear. And the reason this is so important is, one, when you have something on your record, even if it's fairly minor, whether it's a you know, minor drug conviction uh, in terms of possession, uh, it really impacts your ability to get housing, impacts your ability to work, really impacts your ability to really go back into society. We've always said that if you, if you do the crime, you should serve the time. Once that time served, though, you shouldn't have to carry the ball and chain around with you for the rest of your life, which is really what's happening. So you have people who uh, get arrested, serve their time, and then 
they have to carry that with them like an albatross forever, which I don't think is very fair. And then this has a huge societal cost because, again, instead of being taxpayers, they are now having to get help from the state or get help from the cities and really to get on with their lives. Versus if we were just able to clear their record, they could go get jobs. They could go get housing. Wouldn't have to need that kind of assistance from us. Could really start over. Well, how far are you in the process with that bill? We're, we're at the very beginning of the process. Okay. This is the very beginning of our legislative process. Our, our bills get introduced uh, in February. They start to get heard around the end of March. And then we have all the way till the middle of September to get it to the governor's desk. So the, we're, we're still in the very beginning. Stage. Well, you know, there's a couple of counties, and I won't mention the counties, but when somebody is released from prison or jail, that those counties are burdened with these people that are having some challenges in their life to get themselves Mm -hmm. redone. I know uh, currently, I don't know whether it was Fresno or Stockton, are working because they have the disparity of houses where the city, I think, is subsidizing the rent. Uh, to Are you aware of a program like that? I think they're subsidizing it to a tune of 500 because that, they're trying to make sure they stabilize mm-hmm. the people so that they're not sleeping on the streets. That, that's happened all over the state with our uh, what Governor Brown called the realignment process. The realignment process was um, ensuring that people who were, again, low-level offenders could get released and, and sent back to wherever home was. And as part of that reentry, the state help the counties some of that with some of the housing costs. So that is happening really all around, all around the state. Earlier, it's happening less now because uh, those people have been, have been were let out quite a few years ago. What are we doing? Uh, the big divide right now, we read a lot about it, is the disparity of income. Um, you, you can live in San Mateo County or San Francisco and make 120000 and you could be qualified for subsidized housing uh, maybe food stamps or some child care. Is there any idea, creative solution that you have that you feel that we could put? When we look at Apple or we look at Google or we look at Facebook or, or uh, we look at um, Oracle, they're somehow subsidizing some things, whether it's child care, whether it's health care, whether it's food or whether it's a gym. So there seems to be in the, in the uh, normal bureaucracy a divide here. Uh, where you've got the middle class struggling to pay for their child care uh, and drive to where their jobs are. So is there any creative solutions you think we could could work out in the state or um, propose? I, I think the solutions are doing more of what we're already doing. So I, I feel like the, the state has really lagged in uh, rebuilding and enhancing what I call our social infrastructure. And I think of our social infrastructure like schools, like transportation, uh, like early education. You mentioned daycare, childcare. And, and what that is is if, if the state was able to do a better job and offer it more consistently, then people wouldn't have to take money out of their pockets. I, I know when I was going, uh, when my children were born and they went into daycare, that cost upwards of about $2,000 a month just to put them in daycare. And this was not a fancy daycare. This was just a you know run-of-the-mill daycare, but that's what the costs are. So if the state could really help people across the board from K to 12 and kind of pre-K to 12, that could really relieve a lot of this um, pressure to pay for all these things. So I think part of the reason people feel like they're, going, they're falling further and further behind is their health care costs keep going up without any kind of constraint. Their cost of education, even, though, even if it's free, go up because they're, they're spending 
tutors, after school, all this, all these extra costs. So if, so if we could kind of rebuild that infrastructure and enhance that infrastructure and offer a better public product, then people would have more money for other things like food and just everyday living expenses. Our former governor, uh, Governor Brown, did a very good job with the rainy day fund. So I'm kind of, uh, and I know everybody's got some ideas on where they would like some of that money spent. Or Can you give us some ideas where you think you would like to see it spent or your colleagues that well, like to see some of that rainy not that we want to spend it all, but we want to see some of it back into the into the state. Well, we, uh, we you know, the legislature put the rainy day ballot measure on the ballot, and we, the voters, passed it. So we all did that together. And, and that's a simple idea of, you know, when times are good, we should save money so that when times are bad, we have something to fall back on. Right now, we're probably at the tail end of a very strong economy. So in terms of the Rainy Day Fund, the Rainy Day Fund and our reserves are about $18 billion this year. Sounds like a lot of money, but our budget is $144 billion this year. In, in years past, when we had the last recession, we had to cut out of a $100 billion budget, $20 billion over two years. That was $40 billion. So uh, our legislative analysts have said really responsibly our reserves should be about $25 billion because when that next recession comes, we're going to need it so that we don't have to lay off teachers, lay off nurses, cut all the different programs, cut CalWORKs, cut CalFresh so that people uh, have food, uh, can, can get their, their monthly checks so that they can survive. So again, it's so important that we save money. Just like I would encourage you to save money, I would not encourage you to spend all your money today and not have any savings for tomorrow. Uh, that's something that we at the state want to continue to do. H- having said that, we, we've been investing in a number of things over the last six years since I've been there. One has been K through 12 education. We really put some more money into child care and early education and also into higher education. That's really the foundation of the state. Education in terms of our budget and our spending is almost 60% of our overall general fund expenditures. Let's kind of go back a little bit to the housing thing um, and the 3.5 million houses that are needed in the state as we know. One of the things that we don't really have a handle on is that workforce housing. Is it senior housing? Is it subsidized housing? How can we get a better handle on the type of housing we really need? What I've noticed in the peninsula, and it's pretty much true in San Francisco too, is we're building rental housing. We're not building housing to purchase. Uh, So how can we do a better job of banking housing. I know Senator Weiner's bill, 827, went to defeat uh, for, for all reasons. Predominantly, the cities didn't like the control factor mm-hmm. of the state. Now we have Bill 50, Assembly Bill 50, or Senate Bill 50, and it, it's geared on quarter transportation, which I'm passionate about, that they're trying to build into those things. But there's no study in the state showing that people that are building housing in quarter transportation actually use it. I'm assuming they will, but when you build a quarter transportation, if you build one or two car garages, are you encouraging them to take it? So how do we tackle that a little bit better than we, we, we're approaching? I, I, I think it's a great question. So, so a number of different ways. One, you have to um, dispel the notion that everyone gets a 2,500 square foot to 4,000 square foot home. That's, that's just not viable unless you want to go live in, in a rural part of area. Not everybody can do that. Two is uh, all the different types of housing you mentioned, senior housing, workforce housing, affordable housing. Those are all subsidized housing. So you, so you would need 
government money, either federal or state funding, to cover that. So one of the ways that you get that or that we've tried to do that is through inclusionary housing where you have the private sector build a certain amount of housing and then as part of that, a certain amount is set aside for affordable or a sort of pot of money based on the money they're making goes into affordable. So we want to make sure that, again, there is more housing overall. And I think we do need more homeownership opportunities, but we also need more rental opportunities. But I think they're going to have to look different than how people uh, think about it in the past. I mean, we have plenty of people in San Francisco and other parts of the state. They buy housing that's that's the size of an apartment unit. They also buy townhomes. They also buy different size homes. So again, I think there's plenty of ways to be a homeowner. It's just a matter of how big a lot and how big a home you want to own. Now, so Again, you mean maybe every, some tiny homes. Well, I don't even th- I don't think of them as tiny homes. Uh, they're tinier than a twenty five hundred square foot home, but I don't consider a one thousand square foot unit tiny. Okay, that's, pl- that's plenty of size. The other thing I, I would also um, say again is we need everybody to do their part. Every city council supports housing; they just don't support housing in their city, and that's really why we're at this. Apocalypse. Why don't we kind of go back? Um, our new governor, Gavin Newsom, he's, he's indicated that he would hold back the transportation money from the cities if they didn't follow through with housing. Which that that's the old carrot and stick approach. What do you what, do? You have any feelings? Well, on that? well, clearly, what we're doing is not working. So I think we do need to take a look at what else we can do. I'm, I'm very supportive of looking at ways to incentivize or disincentivize behavior. Right now, the behavior is. No housing. We, we saw a great example of that. The city of Cupertino, not in the peninsula, but the city of Cupertino, they approved this magnificent Apple campus. So what did they do subsequently after they approved the Apple campus? They killed all the different housing projects that were coming on in front of the council. So they, oh. didn't, they didn't pass. So, so how, do you, how do you build a campus, creates thousands of more jobs, and then all the different housing proposals that come after that, they get killed. Right, they've been having a pretty vigorous debate about what to do around the um, Valco shopping mall, which has been a mall that uh, I used to I used to go to, but now is pretty much closed. So um, again, you have a lot of space, and there's been a vigorous debate. It seems obvious that that proposal should be some kind of housing, and it's really about what. But but again, everybody wants the jobs, but nobody wants the housing. So again, if people want to continue to have jobs. They're going to need to build housing to go along with it. They have to go one-on-one. Let's go back a little bit to 2008. We had a recession in the state of California. One of the things that the state did mm-hmm. is took away from the cities the redevelopment money. And we all, mm-hmm. our listeners all realize the redevelopment money was for improvements and also for housing. Um, do you foresee that, um, I know I've talked to a couple of senators and uh, assemblymen, do you foresee that uh, the redevelopment money would be coming back to the city. It's, it's, it's possible. Uh, now, it would have to be more limited. We saw what Santa Clara did with the redevelopment money. They built this nice, new, shiny football stadium, uh, which, again, now they're in litigation over. So, uh, again, cities really didn't spend that redevelopment money responsibly. So I think we do need to have a discussion of what that money's for. Why don't you talk about your current bill that you've got going um, uh, I think Jimmy Kimmel was, uh, is wanting to see get rid of those receipts, too. You know, we have, we have a really uh, great bill to, to move away from paper receipts. And what it says is it's something very simple, that 
paper receipts should only be given upon request, kind of like what we did with straws. So that if you don't want a receipt and you want a digital receipt, the um, the retailer should be able to offer you a digital receipt. And if they if you want a paper receipt, you can ask for it. Well, I'm going to give you a few moments to brag about something that you're currently working on to to our listeners out there so that they can get an idea of what you're passionate about. You're definitely passionate. People, should I encourage them to go to your website uh, and see all the issues that you're fighting for? You're, you're definitely um, a very good public servant. And before I let you do the final, how, why did you get into public service? You, you know, for, for me, um, you know, I'm a born and raised Californian, and I am so proud of everything that I've um, really been given from California. I went through public schools, uh, went to a public university, and this is my way of really serving and, and giving back to the state that's given me so much. Uh, to me, when I was growing up, we had this California dream, you work hard, play by the rules, that the state was really going to give you this kind of opportunity and has kind of given me every opportunity that I could I could hope for. Uh, my concern is for future generations that California dream is seems more and more elusive and harder to reach. And so that's really one of my focuses is to make sure that the middle class, the working, the working people of California, their children have opportunities just like I did. And so that's something that I think about every well, day. On behalf of Podcast by the Bay, I want to thank Assemblyman Phil Ting for giving us his undivided attention and time. Thanks again for being a good public servant, Phil Ting. Thanks. Thank you. You've been listening to the sounds of Leo DeVito performing the song entitled One Note Samba. Well, once again, we'd like to thank Assemblymember Phil Ting for speaking with Podcast by the Bay. We're also going to put the video of this interview featuring Assemblymember Ting and Patrick onto our website at Podcast by the Bay on our video page. So definitely go on and check that out. And this video was produced by Bridget from Peninsula TV. So we partnered with uh, Bridget and Peninsula TV to actually produce this video and shows she did a wonderful job with the production and she had her assistant there and so they came down. It was a really awesome job so we definitely appreciate it and we thank you guys so much for actually working with us here at Podcast by the Bay. And also the interview will also be broadcast on Peninsula TV. So if you actually have Peninsula TV, 
I believe it's uh, Comcast Channel 26. On Wave, it's Channel 27. Or ATTU verse, it's Channel 99 here on the peninsula. And it's actually going to be broadcast. And that's uh, Tuesday, uh, April 30th at 5 p.m. So you can actually check us out. Podcast, by the way, you can see Patrick and Assembly Member Ting. And then also Saturday, May 4th, it's going to be at 11 a.m. And there's other... And there's gonna, probably going to be other rotational times as well. So definitely get it, check it out, and uh, definitely uh, give us some feedback. All right, so signing off, keep on rocking, and we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. All material is property and copyrighted by Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. For sponsorship opportunities, please contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Stay tuned.